Well, let's turn to this psalm this evening, Psalm 147. We heard the opening as our call. We have sung variations of it tonight. Now let's read God's Word in this psalm that is given to His people. Psalm 147. Praise the Lord, for it is good. Sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant. And a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcast of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. Cast the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope. In his steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes the wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. Let's leave this psalm open as we consider it tonight, but first let's bow in prayer once again. Father in heaven, we give thanks for the beauty of this psalm, the beauty of your Word, and may we just contemplate now your commands for us in this Word and pray your blessing on Pastor Bob as he clarifies this for us and as he preaches on it. May we just serve you in all that we do we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to look at this psalm, uh, two major points tonight, uh, as we trace our way backwards from Psalm 150, which we had uh, a few weeks ago and uh, worked out beautifully to be reminded of that this morning with the various instruments we had to uh, use to hear how great thou art. And then we'll close our service with with singing that this evening as well as a reminder of that call to praise that God has called forth from us in Psalm 150. But here in Psalm 147, we're called again, praise the Lord. It begins the psalm, it ends the psalm. This too, then, is another call to praise. And I just want to note with you as we we think about that, that first point, this call to praise that God has given the number of repetitions that occur in this psalm. The word God or Lord occurs 11 times. 
he or his in reference to God occurs 35 times. Praise and singing occurs seven times. And the word I does not occur once. Dr. Boyce, in commenting on this psalm, said that ought to be a guideline for every psalm and hymn writer. That there ought to be more emphasis upon the Lord than upon ourselves. And Dr. Boyce uh, took apart uh, uh, a song uh, popular back in the, the 80s and just demonstrating how many times the word I appear and how many few times the word Lord appeared and reference the fact that it was probably never going to be a song that was sung at 10th Presbyterian Church because of that. Now, without getting caught up in the numerical things, there is still certainly an emphasis there. The inspired psalmist, the inspired writer, is saying when we praise the Lord, the emphasis ought to fall upon the Lord, not upon us. Well, certainly, if one were writing a song about repentance, that would certainly not be something the Lord has to do. And so maybe in terms of that occasion, in terms of that situation, the word I would be very appropriate. But certainly not in terms of praise. It's not to lift ourselves up and say, Lord, yeah, you deserve praise, but I'm the one giving it. I'm the one doing it. I'm the one. Now the emphasis, as Dr. Boyce said in the commentary, ought to fall upon the Lord even as it does in this psalm. So that's one thing to, to just reflect upon as you read through the psalms and think about them. The second thing is there is a needed reminder here in this first verse. It begins this way, praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. It's good. Now, once again, we, we, we run into our modern world in which the word good has kind of been watered down. Would, good means adequate. Good means okay. Good means fair. Good means eh, possible. But in the language of Scripture, good means good. It means pure. It means right. The psalmist is saying, for us to open our mouths in praise to God is the right thing to do. This is, this is the proper thing to do. That when God calls forth His command to praise Him and we respond with that praise, that is a good thing. It is right for us to be joyful. It is right for us to shine forth the Lord our God. It is right for us to put the spotlight square upon Him so that He receives the praise and glory and honor that is due His name. You know, there are some circles where praising the Lord would almost be considered wrong. You should not be so excited about this. Well, one has to be much more humble. One has to be much more stoic. One has to be much more reserved. 
one has to be much more self-controlled. Well, and while all of those things are good and right in and of themselves, when it comes to praising the Lord, the Psalms know no withholding. This is the right thing to do, to respond in a praise, in a celebration, in a joyful exaltation of that which God has done. That's the good thing to do. That's the biblically, moral, good thing. But notice how the psalmist follows up on that. For it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. Now the psalmist is not only saying this is a good reminder to you, that that you remember that to praise the Lord is a good thing. That's also an appropriate reaction. It is fitting. It is fitting that God's people gather together, that we as individual believers open our hearts to praise the Lord. I know there are, you know, sometimes perhaps we in the more conservative or maybe I would say biblical bent of things, perhaps at times set back and say, you know, I went to a church service and You know, they sing praises for 15 minutes. I don't know what's coming off of that church. You know, maybe we ought to be a little more careful about our criticisms in light of what Scripture is saying. Scripture is saying, this is a good thing. This is a proper thing. Now, maybe our concern is what is actually being sung and how it's being sung. Maybe it goes beyond that. But, but we have to make sure, and, and that's one of those things we have to be precise about in our conversations around our children. You know, our children here us say, well, you know, all they did is sing for 15, 20 minutes. I don't know what's with that church. What do our children hear? Not that we've deciphered something, but that we shouldn't be singing to God for 15, 20 minutes. So if in our worship service, Pastor Bob suddenly puts in, hey, we're going to sing four songs in a row. People go, oh, we shouldn't be doing that. That's not right. That's way too much time praising the Lord. Listen to the word of the Lord. For it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant. And a song of praise is fitting. This is appropriate. It is right for us to lift up songs that praise, that spotlight, that highlight, that show forth God in all of His wonder, and all of His glory. This is right. This is fitting. This is good. Another call to praise. But secondly... Let's look at the reasons that the psalmist gives us tonight in this psalm for praise. What are some reasons? Once again, if you look at many commentaries on on this particular, uh, they break it down into seven different categories. And quite frankly, I kind of found it a little contrived. I I found it a little uh, perhaps more overbearing than needed to be uh, in finding those seven. So... I made it simple. I made it three. I think when I read this psalm, when I meditate upon this psalm, I see three things that the Lord is coming to us and saying, 
these are reasons that I deserve to be praised. Reason number one is that the Lord has great care for the broken. There are four ideas okay, that, that come out here. Four ways that that is spelled out in the psalm. And in the four ways, what he's showing and what the psalmist is highlighting is the fact that God gives attention. Now this is going to be in contrast to something or in light of something. So, so you've got to kind of bear with this whole point. God's care for the broken in the attention that he gives. Now, who in this psalm does God seem to have his eyes upon? Who is God looking at? Well, we would say, one, he's caring for the outcast. Once again, we, we kind of have to define that. What do we mean by outcast? Well, we're not talking about societal outcasts. We're not talking about that the way in which, you know, a social scientist of today might do a study of sociology and say, well, this particular group is a social outcast group. That's not what Scripture means by that. Because if you look at it in context, it's he gathers the outcasts of Israel. He's not talking about the world. He's talking about his people. The outcast here means those who for no reason are spiritually cast out and thought of as no good. Remember the song we sing out of, out of the Trinity, the El Shaddai, in its reference to Hagar? It speaks of her as the one who was the outcast, but God is the one who really sees. See, there was really no reason for Hagar at that point and juncture to be an outcast. It was only because of Sarah's vengeance. It was only because of Sarah's hatred. Here she was within the confines, as it were, of that covenant family, having been tossed out. God sees the outcast on her knees. And you think throughout Scripture of those who for no particular reason by those who are in religious power cast out others. See, it's not the societal outcast. It's the religious outcast. These are who God sees. In the words of Jesus, it's the prodigal son. The elder brother has disdain. The elder brother being compared to the religious leaders of Jesus' day who have this disdain for those who, who like the prodigal have gone their way. The Mary Magdalene's of the world. The Galilean fishermen of the world. But God is the one who pays attention. God is the one who sees these outcasts. And he ought to be praised as the God who pays attention to those who are the religious outcasts. Secondly, it's not only the, 
the outcast, it's also the broken. Verse 3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Who are the brokenhearted? Well, if we were to apply this in our world today and you ask somebody in the street, well, what's a brokenhearted person? Well, it's probably some boy who just got a Dear John letter from his girlfriend. That's not the brokenhearted of Scripture, is it? The brokenhearted of Scripture are those who have a broken and contrite heart before the Lord. Those who see their sin, who acknowledge their sin, and that sin and acknowledgement brings them to the point that their heart is broken. Not because of emotional love, not because of the loss of a job, but because of their sin. God pays attention to those who are the broken-hearted. If we go down further in the psalm, in verse 6, the Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. The humble are not those who, who like Saul this morning, have that false humility. Oh, no, I'm just a Benjaminite. My family's nothing. No, the humble here are those who are humble because of the grace of God. They realize that they're standing as sons and daughters of God. Go back to Dr. Trumper's message last Sunday night, who, who realize in the face of their adoption that they are humble. They're not filled with arrogance. They're not filled with pride. They're not filled with self-righteousness. They're humbled by grace. They acknowledge that the only reason they can stand is because of grace. These are who God pays attention to. See, the world doesn't. The world could care less about any one of these categories, right? But the Lord pays attention. And if we go down further in the psalm, look at verses 10 and 11. Here's another category. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of man. You can't, you, you can't help but read that and think of this morning's message. Saul, he's the most handsome of all the Israelites. He's taller than everybody else. Of course he deserves to be king. What does the Lord say, though? I do not delight. I do not take delight in those characteristics of But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him, in those whose hope is in His steadfast love. You see, the Lord pays attention to those who are hopeful, to those who are looking to Him, to those who are crying out to Him. Not those who are this necessarily in, in the context of which I'm saying this, not those who, who get the accolades of the world. Not those who, who have rooms lined with trophies of awards from the world. The Lord pays attention to those who are hoping and trusting in Him. Now, now think about that. Okay? The Lord pays attention to the outcast, to the broken, to the humble, to the hopeful. Even though we must consider the power that he holds. See see how this comes out in the comparison? He heals the brokenhearted, verse 3, binds up their wounds. 
He determines the numbers of the stars and he gives all of them their name. Great is our Lord, abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure and yet the Lord lifts up the humble. See, here's the Lord. He knows the stars. He creates the stars. Tonight is not a good night to say it because we're almost at that longest night of the year or else I'd advise you to take your children out tonight and look at the stars, but it'll probably be about midnight before that happens. But it'd be a good night. We've had a good cleansing rain. Okay? Sky is probably going to be clear, bright stars. And just step back and think. The Lord created them all, and He knows them all by name. His wisdom, His mind is beyond comprehension. Yet He pays attention to the outcasts. Yet He who knows the names of every single star of the universe, some of whom's light since the very dawn of creation has not even yet reached this earth. knows those who are brokenhearted because of their sin. He knows those whose heart is humbled by His grace. He knows those who put their hope and trust in Him. Why should the Lord be praised? Because the Lord cares for the broken. Because are we not amongst that mix? Somewhere amongst those, we should find ourselves, should we not? Maybe we're not the outcast of, of the religious society, but certainly we ought to be the broken. Certainly we should be the humble. Certainly we should be the hopeful. Remember the the hymn we sing sometimes, His eye is on the sparrow, and I know He cares for me. His eye is upon the stars of the heavens, and yet I know He cares for me. How do I respond to that? Praise the Lord! It is good and right and fitting to celebrate the fact that God cares for the broken. Secondly, another reason for praise that we find in this psalm is that God cares for His creation. We begin that in verse 7, and it kind of goes on through 7, 8, and 9. First of all, there are the provisions that are listed. The very clouds of the heavens, the rain, that comes from the clouds, the grass that grows because of the rain, and the beasts that are provided food by the grass. God cares for His creation. God is a respecter of that creation. Does it mean, folks, that we have to go to becoming environmentalismist, that we have to become worshipers of that creation? No, but we, we are to be respecters of that. We need to be reminded that the God who cares for his creation is also the God who has said, eat. Eat and enjoy. The wisest man in the scriptures is Solomon. 
One of the things we read about Solomon is that he taught all about various aspects of creation. He knew and understood the intricacies of the created world and of the animal kingdom greater than, than any other human being, according to Scripture. You ought to read sometime what's on Solomon's table to eat. Just because he respected and he knew and had knowledge didn't mean he did not eat of that as well. But we can never forget that. We can never forget that that beautiful buck is that beautiful buck because it has been provided for by God. God has given to it food to eat. That food that that buck is eating has come from the rain that has fallen, that has been determined by the clouds of the air, and all of this, God has controlled. What an amazing thing to step back from and say, praise the Lord. Give what is needed in its season. But the most fascinating thing of that list to me is the line as it's translated in the ESV at the end of verse 9. It's one thing to say he gives to the beasts their food. But read the next line. And to the young ravens that cry. You have to step back from that and, and ask yourself, what do young ravens eat? Young ravens probably eat what old ravens eat. What do old ravens eat? Old ravens are scavengers. They eat the meat of dead things. God provides dead things for living things to eat. Even the ravens are given food by God. Even, see, what the psalmist is saying is even death itself is under the hand and control of God. Both life and death. Both the provisions that God gives and the end of life that God brings. Is all under the control and the hand of God so that even a scavenger, young bird is provided for by God. Step back from that. And what do we say? Praise the Lord. What a marvelous God we have. He provides for all of His creatures that which they need out of His provisions and out of His providences. God gives what is needed. Praise the Lord. Thirdly, a third reason that we find for praise in Psalm 147 is his care for the church. You notice there is really no definition given to us or uh, highlight given to us at the beginning of the psalm as far as when this psalm might have been written, how it was used. Some of the psalms we have that. You know, Psalms, uh, when David was hiding from Saul, oh, we have a psalm. When David is confronted by Nathan, oh, we have a psalm. Here, there is no designation. The, the Jewish tradition says, and this 
obviously isn't scripture, but it would seem to fit the case. Jewish tradition says that Psalm 147 was written for the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem during the time of Nehemiah. And if you read back to to what life was like at that time, if you read those chapters in Ezra and Nehemiah, you realize how forsaken Israel was. And the the whole context of the psalm begins to to fall into place. And, And so it might have been written for that occasion. It might have been sung for that occasion. We don't know for sure. But it certainly fits that occasion. Because God gathered his people. God built up the church. God strengthened them. Let me take you through a moment of all the things that demonstrate God's care for his church in this psalm. One, he is the one who grows the church. Verse two, the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. You know, I referenced earlier the the parable of the prodigal. As as we've gone through it, let's just refresh our minds. What is it that brings the son to his senses? But it's his father's love, the grace of his father. Who is it that seeks out the one lost sheep? Who is it that reaches out to those who were the lost? I have not come to call the righteous sinners to repentance, said Jesus. You see, it is the Lord who builds up Jerusalem. It's a good reminder to us in our church age and day age in which we, you know, have have this idolizing of pastors and so on. Oh, our pastor is so good. Look at all the people he's bringing in. That pastor isn't bringing in a soul. He may be bringing in people, but he's not bringing in one soul. The only one who brings in souls is the Lord. The only one who truly gathers the church is the Lord. The only one who with his work of his spirit, by the power of his word, reaches into the heart of the outcast to draw them to the church is God. We're but tools. We need to be reminded of that, and that too is a reason to pray. Secondly, not only does the Lord build, grow the church, the Lord blesses the church. What does the, the psalm tell us? Verse 13, He not only strengthens the bars of your gates, right? He's the one who strengthens that church. He blesses your children within you. What does that mean? It means your children come to faith. It means your children come to know and love the Lord. They come to profess their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you begin to see that happening, you know what you're seeing? You're seeing the Lord's care for His church. The Lord is saying, I want this church to continue on and on and on. And I am providing the basis. I am providing that next generation of believers. When you see baptism after baptism after baptism, what's happening? The Lord is saying, I am providing for that church to exist. 
for as long as I determine that my son shall not come. What an amazing thing this is, you see. The Lord blesses the church. He strengthens it. He gives it children. Verse 14, he makes peace in your borders. There is a sense of settledness. There is a sense that things are all right and whatever isn't all right will be taken care of. There is not a sense of which there is great anxiety and great upheaval. There is the blessing of God because he fills you with the finest of the wheat. You don't have, you see, monetary issues and problems. God provides. He blesses his church. You shouldn't be embarrassed about that. That's not something we ought to, oh, we ought to be ashamed. We, we, we're, we're, we're doing well. No, that's the blessing of God. And the reaction to it is not shame. The reaction to it is not discouragement. The reaction to it is praise the Lord. It is good and right and fitting to bring to the Lord a song of praise. The Lord blesses His church. Thirdly, the Lord empowers the church. You've got to follow along with this. Okay? It starts at 15. And then we're going to go all the way through 19. We read in 15 through 19 of of sort of two different commands that are given. There is a command that is sent out, a command that is given, and a command that is sent out. And the one has to do to demonstrate the power of his word. And that's where all the nature stuff comes in. See that in 15? He sends out his command to the earth. Think about it in terms of nature. He sends out his command to nature. What happens? Well, his word goes swiftly. There's no delay in the work of God's word. How does that work? He gives snow. He scatters frost. He hurls down crystals of ice like crumbs. He sends out his word and they melt. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. Now just stop and think about that. That marvelous power of the Lord's word. When snow comes, it's by the word of the Lord. When rain comes, it's by the word of the Lord. When heat comes, it's by the word of the Lord. The Lord sends forth his word, and that which is sent forth happens quickly. When God says rain, it rains. When God says snow, it snows. Nature does not hesitate in responding to the command of God. It always does that which he commands. Something those in the climate change world ought to have a perspective of. Even those who, 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 you know, we we think, well, we ought to elect this politician because they at least have an understanding about what's going on. They don't have a clue. If they really had a clue, they'd stand up and say, look, it's hot because the Lord commanded it. It's cold because the Lord commanded it. That's the way it works. That's what the scriptures tell us. The wind blows because that's what the Lord commands it to do. Now notice what happens. Verse 19, he declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. What's the psalmist saying? 
He's saying the word that goes forth with power into this creation by the Lord is the word that comes to us. This. God empowers His church. See, the stuff about nature is just there for the comparison so that we get get an idea. Oh, no, this is just a book with some words. No, this is power. What does Paul say in the first chapter of Romans? But that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. See, part of our problem in the church world is that we're, we're sitting on the power. We're not making use of the power. We're not making use of that which God has given to us. A power that, that melts snow. A power that causes frost. A power that brings forth tornadoes. A power that brings forth winds that topple trees. A power. God has given his church. He has empowered his church with his word. He entrusts us with this. See, he doesn't give it to the pagan. They just trample upon it. To his church, he gives his powerful word. He says, here, take this. May this be the source of your strength. May this be the source of your power. And of course, if we understand that in light of the New Testament, what we're really saying is what? He gives to his church Christ, which is the word become flesh. He gives us Christ so that we might be empowered, that we might be strengthened. How should we as the church respond? Praise the Lord! It is so good and right and fitting to sing praises to our God. There is one more. It's the last verse. The Lord cares for His church. He grows it. He blesses it. He empowers it. Don't fold up the notes. Don't close your Bible. He graces it. Listen to this verse. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. You understand what a privileged people we are? We have the word of God. Next Lord's Day, I think I got it right, correct? Next Lord's Day, we take an offering to provide audio scriptures for uh, the Sledricks and Andersons to use. Why? People don't have the Word of God. Still, yet, today, thousands, millions. Do you realize that most of the children in our public school system today have no Bible in their home? Think about that. That God, in His grace, has given us the Word. We've been raised with it, most of us, all of our life. We've 
We've been blessed with fathers who probably sat around a kitchen table and read chapter after chapter after chapter every day, and we're thinking, I want to get outside, Dad, and go back and play ball, and Dad's reading the list of chronologies, of genealogies out of First Chronicles, and we're going, he can't even pronounce the name. I don't understand why we're reading it. And yet, boy, does that leave an impression in one's mind. Importance, God's Word the blessing that we have it. We have it. That's grace. That God has given to us Christ. That God has given to us His powerful Word. That God has given to us His Gospel. What a privileged people we are. How do we respond? Praise the Lord. He's good. He's right. Fitting to sing a song of praise to our God. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you. A psalm, Father, so rich, so full, such a blessing, such a joy, such an encouragement, such grace. We thank you for your love and care for the broken for your love and care for creation. And we praise you for your love and care for the body of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. God's people say, Amen.